Hey, Typology Tribe, we have a great show for you today, but before we get going, I have a really important announcement. As you can tell, I really love hosting Typology and learning how we can use the Enneagram to become the best version of ourselves. Like for me, few things are more important than knowing and appreciating who we are, improving our relationships, and making the world a better, more compassionate place. I mean, can you imagine a mission more important than that in this day and age? But as you can imagine, there are some costs associated with producing a show as excellent as the one we aspire to bring you every single week. There's the equipment, there's the time spent recruiting guests, the recording of the show, the post-production editing, licensing music, not to mention the cost of my private yoga instructor and the maintenance on my Florida vacation home. But of course, I'm, I'm kidding about all that. So listen, today I'm launching a Patreon campaign. If you are not familiar with it, Patreon is a way for you to support content you love on a monthly basis basis. For as little as $1, yes, dear friends and listeners, for $1 a month, you can partner with us to keep typology afloat. All you have to do is go to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash typology and select the level at which you want to support the show. And then voila, you not only receive our undying love and gratitude, you get a bunch of great bonus content as well, which you can learn about at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com backslash typology. All right, enough of me hitting you up for the big dough. Let's get to our show. Who are we? How do we see and experience the world? What are the hidden forces that drive us? Why do we act, think, and feel the way we do? And how can we become our best, most authentic selves? Welcome to Typology, a series of freewheeling conversations in which we use the Enneagram typing system to explore the mystery of the human personality. I'm Ian Cron. Well, here I am. I'm sitting in the studio of my old friend and today new engineer, recording engineer, the singer-songwriter, Anthony Skinner. Anthony, welcome. Thank you, Ian. It's good to be here with you. Do you know, your voice sounds amazing on mic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you sound like the 70s soul singer, Barry White. Do you remember Barry, Barry White? White. <laughs> right i was like show you right no, no. <laughs> hey you know i um i had an interesting day yesterday i was in the dentist office and i mm -hmm. i was kind of scrolling around huffington post and i came across an intriguing article about a group of harvard researchers and they they undertook a longitudinal study so like 70 years mm -hmm. to answer these questions what are the secrets to a happy and purposeful life? How do we grow and change? 
what do we value as time goes on in life and what is likely to make us happy and fulfilled? So those were the research mm. questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think the researchers said was their most important finding? Mm, tell us. It was that love and relationships are really all that matters. Wow. That was the principal finding of the study. Mm-hmm. Now, 70 years is a long time to come up with, I think, what we could have come up with in about 10 seconds, right? <laughs> right. Which is that it doesn't matter so much how much you make, what your job is, how even how physically healthy you are. Mm-hmm. Those pale in comparison to what your relationships are like. Right. You know, at yep. the end of the day, it all comes down to that. So today... To explore the same questions, I, I asked my longtime friends, Shauna and Aaron Nequist, to come on the show to talk about how they've used the Enneagram to support and nurture their relationship. Mm. Because like, if relationships are all that really matters, then we need to have as many shows as possible that investigate how the Enneagram can enhance and illuminate and improve our relationships with other people. That's pretty mission critical. Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know them, Shauna is the New York Times bestselling author of the book, Present Over Perfect. Aaron is a remarkable worship leader and the author of the soon to be published book, The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning, which comes out in August of 2018. And as you're going to soon discover, these two people are veteran Enneagram students and incredibly funny to boot. I'm ready. Right? So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation, everybody. Let's get to it. Hey, Aaron and Shauna, welcome to Typology. Thanks. I am delighted that you guys are with us today, and I wish you were here in the room with me. It's true. We do too. Tell me how life in Chicago is going. Well, it's it's just got really cool outside. So it's sunny and like 60 something. And as a person who is always hot, I am in my glory. (laughs) (laughs) And as it's a holiday weekend, um, we are um, leaving straight from here and we're surprising our kids and picking them up at school and taking them uh, to the apple orchard because there's both apple picking and apparently there's a big apple tree maze. So we're, we're doing all the fall things. Well, I just with want our you to right know now. that mm-hmm. it's uh, it's been pouring rain here in Nashville for three days, and as a fellow four, Aaron, I'm sure you appreciate how happy that makes me. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, I'm relishing in the melancholy of uh, of the rain today. <laughs> Shauna, I've had you on the show before, and yes. um, I've not had you, Aaron. True. So what I want to do is just take a minute and just have folks get to know you. You know, just tell a little about yourself to our audience. All right. Well, um, beginning with the Enneagram, four with a three wing. Um, although Tortured. I, You're tortured. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I want to be totally uniquely myself, but I also want that to matter as I succeed in everything I do. So how's that for, yeah, tortured. Um, 
But it's been interesting in the last few years, um, I've noticed the five wing is really coming in and feeling a little more of a purist and probably good and infuriating to Shauna ways. Um, but yeah, I'm a liturgist, uh, been a worship leader in churches for um, almost 20 years and um, married to this young lady right here. So mm. Now, Shauna, you're a seven. And you're married to a four, and I want you guys to know that that is proof that opposites attract. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to know, how did you, because I want to talk today more about relationships in the Enneagram versus, you know, talking about individual types, okay? So okay. how did the two of you meet? We actually started our first jobs out of college on the same day. Um, so we both started in student ministry at the church that I had grown up at. We both went to separate colleges, didn't know each other, um, did separate summer jobs. And at the end of August started um, our, our first, you know, grown up jobs on the same day. And so the cool thing about that is we got a chance to know each other very, very, very well in lots of different situations way before we even went on our first date. So we were colleagues who worked this like totally bonkers student ministry schedule. Um, and so we, we really had a good sense of the other and our team teased us that we were the most opposite people in any meeting. <laughs> that if in any meeting situation, if there were two options, I would pick A and he would pick B 100% of the time. Oh, yeah. Ian, can I tell you about our first date real quick? Oh, I'm dying to know. <laughs> I am dying to know. I mean, so I'm working with this this uh, this very pretty girl, and we're working together. We're getting to know each other, but we're really different. So finally, I ask her out. I say, "Let's go into the city um, on Saturday together," and all that. So she says yes. So on Friday, at the end of the workday, I'm like, "All right, so I'll pick you up tomorrow, and we'll go in the morning." And she's like, "Yeah." Also, I invited Brian to come with us. <laughs> So, uh, so the three of us, Shauna, Brian, and I, um, went on a date. It was very romantic. So I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in and say a couple things. Number one, gentlemen, when you're asking someone out on a date, make very sure that it doesn't sound like maybe you're just running errands together. Yeah. Make I, make very clear that there yep. is a romantic intention here because I really did think my colleague and I were doing like a rideshare program to the city where yep. we would like. You know, just, I don't know. It did not make sense to me that this is a date environment. And also, Brian was adorable. <laughs> so. Okay, so. Yeah. Okay, just so you guys know, I'm a therapist, as you know. And, <laughs> and so if this call deteriorates <laughs> into something really bad, we we can go the extra hour and I won't even charge you for it. <laughs> All right. So, Shauna, if if you were given 60 seconds, like you're in an elevator, right? Right. Um, and you had to describe Aaron to somebody who didn't know him, what would you say? As a seven describing your four husband, what would you say? I would say Aaron is truly the most genuinely interesting, exciting person that I know. He's intense all the way. When he's happy, the world is happy. When he's unhappy, you can't even believe how dark things get, but he's all the way, all the time. He's a genuinely exciting, interesting, intense person. Mm. Okay. Now we're going to, we're going to circle back to that. But now Aaron, you, you, you do the same. Now you tell me what you would say in 60 seconds. If someone asked you to describe Shauna, I would say that Shauna makes every room that she walks into more fun and more full of light. Um, Sean is genuinely the most kind of life bringing person that I know. So 
life, light, joy, excitement, energy. Yeah. Mm. Well, I would agree to both of those. I mean, just in my experience of, of you two, I, I, I think that's spot on. And, uh, the, you know, the two of you are very different, but I, I love this idea that, you know, with the Enneagram, two healthy people of any number can make it work. You know, even, even though you're opposites, you know, in many, many ways, you know, if you're healthy and self-aware, I think relationships can work between numbers of any type. Yeah. You know? What's interesting, I just noticed both of us described each other, even though we have some fundamental differences, we both described ourselves, each other in pretty similar ways, energy, excitement, um, neither of us said, yeah, they're so easygoing. <laughs> no, you were, you were described as intense. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, you, you know what I mean? And, and that's a very different kind of exciting, you know, versus fun. And, and that's one of the things I want to tease out. So Shauna, what do you mean by intense? Well, um, I think just generally in my life, the, the people I want to be around are people who have strong feelings, um, a, a, a well-formed perspective. Aaron has strong opinions and he's a learner and he's a grower and he's always asking questions. But they're like, I would say when I'm feeling very positively about it, I use the word intense. <laughs> on, on, to be honest, on, sometimes there I use the word relentless. Like this, you never stop. Your mind never stops. Your emotions never stop. There's never like a let's put it on cruise control. He is all in all the time. I think it's very exciting. It's also Exhausting. a lot of energy sometimes. Yeah. 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 Mm. So let's talk about that. So early on in your relationship, right? Now, how long have you guys been married? 16 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So early on in your relationship, what were the difficulties that you faced in that first, you know, one to three or four years? And then tell me about the challenges that you face now. Yeah. What's funny is that first date seems to sum up, especially early, our biggest challenges. Like it's a funny story. But to like, be clear, not that I was dating other people in our <laughs> early marriage. That's not what he's trying to yeah, say. Yeah, she kept bringing other guys <laughs> into... No, but um, I wanted to connect one-on-one -on -one in a deep way. And she was a more... Like the more the merrier, let's have a ball... She always wanted me with her in these adventures, but I always wanted to just connect with her. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah. And I think that that has lots of manifestations. Sure. But Aaron is very much a one-on-one -on -one person, a deep connector, a quality time person. I'm not any of those things. <laughs> I, I think we can have like a super, like we can meet my needs for depth of conversation in like about four minutes. Um, and, and then I would like a dozen or so other people around the table to chime in. Yeah. And so my kind of let's have adventures together with a lot of other people. And then his desire to have an intense connection one-on-one -on -one. early in our marriage, that was probably the trickiest thing to figure out. Yep. So it, it's pretty typical, I think for fours being one myself, like we, we just yearn for emotional depth in relationships, right? So like, it's amazing. Like, I, I can meet somebody and within an hour be wanting to go deep. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want a gradual on-ramp. It's like, if I'm, if I like somebody, if I'm connecting, yep, it's like, let's do it. 
Okay, let's let's go there. Yeah. So, but with when it's with a seven and a four in relationship, and the you know the four is pressing for emotional depth, and the seven typically responds to all this pressure to go deeper by saying, you know, you expect too much from our relationship, or I can have deep feelings, but not yeah, for long. Sure. Yep. I would say I, I feel both of those things. Yep. The, I, I don't always feel like I can meet his expectations. And I feel like I did, right? Like I didn't, I did, <laughs> I went so deep. Now we're done. Mm. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Enneagram for a second. Um, because again, lots of people ask me, you know, like, okay, so now I know my number. Now what? And in particular, now I know my number. What do I do with it in terms of? you know, whether it's my marriage or with my partner or the person I'm dating, like how do we begin to apply this thing in the context of our relationship? And I'm just dying to know because you guys are, you know, students of the Enneagram. You have real advanced knowledge of it. You're self-aware people. Tell me this first. How has the Enneagram enhanced or affected your relationship with each other? Um, I feel like it has been... Uh, one of the most helpful tools, you know, obviously counseling, uh, personal growth, prayer, a community around us who reflects the truth back to us and the Enneagram. Those have probably been the top five things that have helped us so much. And I think some of it is um, for for types, you know, we're so different. And to put language to the idea that we're not supposed to be like each other, that the best possible Aaron doesn't look the same as the best possible Shauna. And then even within that, the best, the choices that will bring each one of us to health are really different ones. Mm -hmm. So like for me, it's almost always healthy when I say uh, I can go without that. I choose not to do that. I choose slower. I choose quality over quantity. I choose to connect with one as opposed to many. Whereas for Aaron, it's easy for his idealism or his melancholy sometimes to stand in the way. And so sometimes it's, it's, it's healthy for him to say, yes, I will do that anyway. Yes. Even if it's imperfect. Yes. Even if my feelings don't align. Yes. Even if I'd rather be alone or stay in my head. So for me, to say no to something might be the exact right choice. Whereas for Aaron to sit, to plunge in and say, yes, might be the exact right choice. And the expectation is not that we would become more similar, but that we'd understand what health looks like in both of our best scenarios. That's good. Aaron, Aaron, how would you respond to that? Uh, I'd say two things. One, it, it helps me kind of get into her shoes um, to see the world through her lenses. When I read about, other sevens, or when I talk to other sevens, which one thing we should talk about is a lot of my best friends in the world are sevens. So it's, it's kind of like, um, so Sean is not like the only seven I'm close to. A lot of my friends are sevens, which I, I really love, but without the Enneagram, I would just look at something Shauna did that I don't connect with as, Oh, what's wrong with her? Like that's a flaw. But when I realize it's part of, um, the beauty and the flaw. It's part of just who she is that I'm able to say, oh, wow, that's part of her. I think we both feel that, that, you know, mm. with, uh, I can get frustrated, let's say at some of your intensity or idealism, but it's that intensity and idealism that makes you such a great father right. that helps yeah, you create yeah. beautiful sure. things. So when I see the whole package, yep. when I see the wholeness of what it means to be a four yep. and what you bring to the world, yep. it's easier that mitigates some of the things that can yeah. be challenging, I think. 
we don't get to Frankenstein monster a partner. Like I like this characteristic of that person. Like you get a person, <laughs> which is the the both sides. And so that's been a something we've talked a lot about. And then whenever we can really settle into that, um, oh man, is it more fun to be married, you know, to receive the whole part, both sides of someone, all parts. Yeah, I would say for I got for Annie and I, you know, we we became empty nesters overnight. At the very last minute, it was in like July. We had just moved to Nashville and, you know, Aiden was having trouble integrating into a school where, you know, kids had known each other for their whole lives and he's come in in eighth grade, you know? So he decided he wanted to go to boarding school where everybody would appear on the same day and have a fresh start, right? Well, we became empty nesters four years earlier than we thought in eight weeks. You know, it was like, whoa. So here we are and we're, we're, looking at each other and thinking, you know, we, we've never been alone together without kids for at least 14 years, you know, or I guess by then, you know, 20 some odd years. And we were wondering who each other were and whether we really liked each other anymore. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, there's no buffer between us called children that are, you know, distracting us. And I think for us, the Enneagram just absolutely revolutionized our marriage. And I don't know if it saved our marriage. I mean, I think that would be dramatic, but I think we would be in far more trouble relationally than without it, you know, because we just began to learn, as you did, wow, we are so different. And yet what's, you know, best about who we are is what can be worst about us and vice versa. That's exactly right. Yep. And it opened up a fount of compassion, too, that had not been there because I kept looking at her and saying, here is everything that's missing in you. You know, as a four, I'm looking at everything that's missing. Right? <laughs> and uh, as a nine, she's like, you know, why can't you be a little bit more Hakuna Matata about this? You know, you know, a little bit more laid back, yep. you know, you know, we can work it out was the theme song uh, for her. And so anyway, so I agree. I think that it's been such a powerful tool for us in terms of our own spiritual development and yeah. as a couple, it's been, it's been yeah. remarkable. The other thing that's been really helpful is the, the arrows, like realizing where we go in, in health or in integration and disintegration. And one thing we noticed pretty quick is I go to one in health, but she goes to one in unhealth. And so to share a number, but in the opposite direction has been really interesting Often what's healthy for both of us is the opposite thing in mm. the moment. Do you ever pass each other on the line? I'm just curious. Do you ever wave and pass each other on the line? <laughs> sure, yeah, right? right? Okay. I'm heading the wrong second. way, buddy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Y'all have a nice time down there. It's going to be ugly, I think. Yeah. So my son Aiden is a seven and uh, he would call sometimes from school. And, you know, when sevens go to the low side of one, they can become suddenly surprisingly judgmental and critical and uh, rigid, black and white in their thinking. And he would say something like, oh, some of the kids in my dorm, they smoke pot or they do this. And he would just get like all up on this sort of moral high ground thing, you know? So so I'm curious, like, Shauna, where do you go when you go to the low side of one? Well, it was it's interesting. I feel like so when, when Aaron goes to one in health, it's very much like, 
let's save the world. When I go to the low side of one in unhealth, it's like, let's organize the cabinets. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it has no high mindedness. It has no desire to bring order and beauty to the whole of the world. It's why can't you all organize your stuff better? Yeah. And, 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 and who would ever put their shoes on the floor where, you know, like just, it, it becomes a very critical, um, it's like a, a real compulsive need for order, which is especially a switcheroo because at my best, I am fairly able to roll in a lot of situations. Right, right. I weather transitions well. I like busyness. Change I don't mind and, chaos. Yeah. I, at my best, I can be a fairly flexible person as long as I'm having fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then this, but this low side of one makes me very rigid, specifically about stuff, about where things go and think it's, mm. uh, I desire to control my environment because I feel a sense of chaos inside. So I can't control what's happening inside, but I will organize every cabinet in this house. Yeah. Mm. So a young couple comes to you, let's say, I mean, you guys have both been in, you know, faith communities and, you know, you know, tons of people. So a young couple comes to you, maybe they're dating or they're thinking about getting married. And um, they ask the question, so uh, this guy or this this woman that I'm dating is a four, Shauna. And you had to answer the question, okay, so the one thing you need to know is blank. What would you say? That's such a great question. One of the biggest, the things I have to remind myself all the time is um, Aaron's perceived emotional reality absolutely overrides anyone else's opinion or what feels to me like pretty easily observable fact or reality. <laughs> Which I, and I really mean that. But when Aaron you're going to have a really, you're going to have a really long trip to the apple orchard. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> When Aaron has a perspective on something, to shift that perspective or to try to um, like, well, here's an here's an opposing perspective. What do you think? Let's try this on for size. That's a really hard way. That's a long trip to the apple orchard. <laughs> what I've learned to do is to say, tell me more about how it feels to you. Tell me more. What do you mean? Tell me more. Where did that come from? How does it feel to you? What does that look like? Because there is no, I think I thought I could just match him and match his intensity and change his mind. And that has not been a helpful practice for us. And so instead of trying to argue my reality, I'm learning to, and I don't always do it well. I'm learning to try to enter into his. The other thing I would say is I'm, and I don't do this particularly well, but I want to, I want to learn to be with him in his experience without feeling swallowed up by the intensity of the negative emotion. Mm -hmm. That feels pretty, that's pretty hard for me because it feels very one or the other. I can either hold him at arms, at arm's length and not have to go into that negative, what feels to me dark space. Or I can go all the way in, but it sometimes feels to me then like I'll, I'll get kind of absorbed into it. And that feels scary. So I'm trying these days to enter in without <clears throat> feeling scared or lost in that dark space. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. My wife would answer the same way, by the way. She would really? answer this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, how do I, you know, to use a, a phrase that often comes up, and I think this is good in all relationships, but how do I detach without withdrawing? That's exactly it. Absolutely. Ian, you said something when we did that event a couple years ago um, 
And I, I think I stepped out of the meeting to call Sean and tell her about it. But it was something like, be with me, but don't try to fix me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Because totally. that's when I feel like the worst scenario, and I need to get better at handling this, but the worst is scenario where I feel like she's trying to just convince me to not be sad so she doesn't have to be sad, you know, and then I double down. And again, that's not good. I need to realize that my sadness affects her deeply, but I never need her to fix it. I'm not saying you're now responsible for this, but I'm just saying, would you hear me? Because this is how it feels to be me. So. And that that feels like such an easy thing to do. Like just be with someone, just hear them. But when you're in that conversation and you're a person who is an optimist and who sees things differently and who hates to feel pain or sadness, (laughs) those are, it's like, this this is hard for me. It's, it's so much easier for me to say like, I totally hear that. But also aren't flowers beautiful. (laughs) Does that make you feel better? Just knowing that they exist. Like my, I, I catch myself trying to cheer him out of things. And I know that's a frustrating thing, but it's like it's out of my mouth before I can even, yeah. I, I, I get to like yeah. walk it back so often. I'm yeah. really working on that. So I would say that, you know, like five, sixes, and sevens, right? You're you're all in the thinking or the headspace. And Aaron, you and I are in the heart or the feeling space. And, and what it sounds like to me, so if any of you are listening, you know, if you're five, six, sevens, two, threes, and fours, and you're, you're in a relationship where one's in the thinking, one's in the heart space. It sounds to me like you're kind of shooting past each other because you're in the feeling space, Aaron, and you're like, you know, come into this space, hear me, under, you know, understand what I'm feeling. And, and Shauna, you're responding from the headspace, right? Which is, let's be a little bit more rational about this. Um, here's some opposing views, but it, it, it sounds to me like probably sometimes there's a disconnect just on the basis of your innate temperament and disposition. Totally. And we joke about that. You know, there's this gender stereotype that women want to be understood and men want to fix. And for us, it's a total switch. I want to fix. I want to tell him why he doesn't need to be sad anymore instead of entering into the sadness. And again, I'm working on it, but it's not, it's not natural for me. Mm. All right. So I didn't get a chance to ask you this, Aaron. So you've got a couple, there are four and seven and Let's say the the four on the couple comes to you and they say, all right, I'm thinking about marrying or dating this person who's a seven. Tell me the one thing I need to know. Like if you were had to fill in the blank, the one thing you need to know about sevens is blank. What would you say? Um, oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny that the, my knee jerk, even though we're talking about kind of the hard stuff, my knee jerk really is the positive in that moment. Like what I wanted to say is they are so much fun. They are going to make your life so much fun, which is absolutely true. You know, there's me being Mr. Optimist again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, let's let's capture that. Let's capture that on the recording, you know, because you actually yeah. sounded remarkably <laughs> sanguine just then. <laughs> well, but it's true. And I, I chose her and would again. So, I mean, that is absolutely true. But I, I think it would be something, especially if I was talking to a four- about um, marrying a seven, I, it would be something about um, doing your own work to right size the occasionally totally outsized uh, expectations about emotional connection. So to not say 
this person is going to be my entire emotional receiver of all my every thought I've ever had. She needs to receive this fully. A, no one can do that. Um, B, a seven probably can a little bit less than some of the other numbers. And that is not a deficiency as much as a reality. So I think when we're at our best, we have moments where she enters in more deeply than she would prefer out of love for me. And I am able to offer some of that, but then notice when the boat is getting full. <laughs> and instead of doubling down and sinking the boat, just saying, wow, she really went there. Let's talk about something else. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with you, Shauna? It does. I've never thought of that analogy, but I really think if I could cultivate like a canoe, we're in a canoe together, and I want to pour the water of my emotions into it, um, she really does need to learn how to sit in that canoe as the water fills up, but I cannot do it indefinitely or I will swamp the canoe. No, I hear you, brother. But I think you've hit on a great truth, right? And it's true for all relationships, marriage, partnerships, whatever. That is that you 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 have this realization one day. And by the way, I think for fours, it's particularly hard because we tend to idealize other people. And so I think what you have to realize along the way somewhere for a relationship to work over the long haul is that the other person doesn't have everything that you need. And that you, you're going to have to cultivate relationships with, with other people that do, you know, that to complement this primary relationship. So actually sitting in the room with me right now is my friend and songwriter, Anthony Skinner, and he's an artist. He's a four. So Annie, who's a nine, she just can't meet me in some places that are important for me to be met, you know, to go into that sort of poetic space, to to feel comfortable talking about those dark emotions, you know, she just doesn't live there, right? And so I have a cadre of people that I can go to to address that and to meet me in those darker straits, you know? And I, man, I just think it's a healthy thing in a marriage when you don't apply the pressure to, or in a, you know, a dating relationship or whatever, friendship, you know, to apply pressure on people to deliver something or everything, which is unreasonable. Totally. And I would say as a four, I do that in every area of my life. Like I think my job should be the fulfillment of all my passions and all my, you know, I think everything should be the fullness of everything. Um, and to let my job off the hook, to let my boss off the hook, to let my wife off the hook, to let myself off the hook, that is almost always health. Okay, so how do you, to, in, in the context of your marriage, use the Enneagram to encourage one another to move toward health and wholeness and, you know, into your true self, out of this false self of personality, into your true self? Like, how do you do that? One example, and you know, it's not like we talked about each other in terms of our types, but I think we, I think we, it's almost like we're wearing Enneagram glasses all the time mm -hmm. right now. So um, going into Labor Day weekend, we said to each other, what do you desire for this holiday weekend? Okay. What do you desire for this holiday weekend? Aaron has been uh, busy and has had a lot going on. And he said, I really desire some time and space to be alone, to pray, to process, to do some creative work, for, to kind of heal up some things. Am I saying it right? Totally. Do you feel like yeah, that's exactly right. 
And I was like, cool. I totally hear your desires. <laughs> I want to do none of those things. I want to go on a boat with a lot of people. I, I want there to be like probably like watermelon and maybe like cheese and crackers and music. And I want to get like sandy and sunburned. And I want to have kind of a super fun extended family kind of wild, busy, wind-blown family weekend. <laughs> and what we said to each other was, yeah, literally, that's, that's what I wanted. So, hey, I'm coming with you. Leave him home. I know. Leave so, him at home. He wants to go to, he wants to, go to a, a monastery, and I want to go to Mark. Okay, I'll be Brian. Um, I will be Brian right. this weekend. All right. <laughs> but we said to each other, and actually, when I said monastery and Mardi Gras, I think when we're at our worst, yeah. me having fun feels to him like excessive, debaucherous Mardi Gras. Yeah. And I hate to tell you this, Shona. I've seen you having fun, and frankly, I think it borders on that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and then I think sometimes if I'm not being generous of spirit, his desire to be alone, to process, to do creative work does feel sort of overly monastic. And, but I think when we're being generous with each other and when we're taking good care of ourselves, we can say, I can see that the best thing for you is this quiet time, this space, this silence, this room to kind of play creatively and to, to, plumb the depths a little bit. And the best thing for me is time with our kids and their grandparents and my old friends and sand and beach and a little bit of really welcome chaos that, that, that is good for me. And that is good for him. And it doesn't mm -hmm. always have to match up a hundred percent of the time. Speaking of Mardi Gras, Ian, do you know how the, the foolproof way to know if Shauna's had one cocktail too many? Do you want to hear her tell? I totally want to know. <laughs> She winds up explaining to a whole room of people that she can do the splits three ways. <laughs> no, no, this is too good. This is too three. good to be true. If I if I wake up in the morning, I'm like, Aaron, just tell me one thing. I'm pretty sure I did the splits last night. And, like, oh. and that that's, but that's then my friends found out about that. They totally, they know that that's like, that's the signal. Right. Um, and so they'll, they'll start asking me at like, you know, five o'clock, you know, at, at like a, like an afternoon barbecue, like, Hey, can anyone hear a crazy question? Can anyone here do the splits? And I'm like, you guys, I'm on to you. It's daytime. I'm having my first drink and I definitely am not falling for this. And then the, they'll keep going throughout but the Sean, evening. It, it was 9 a.m. when you had that first drink. Yeah, that's, that, right. that's the thing. <laughs> <I'm concerned about. laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's the signal. When I get back from Labor Day weekend, he'll be like, how many times did you do the splits? So I have a, a friend of mine. He's a seven and she's a five, right? You can't, I mean, talk about kind of, again, you know, very different human beings, right? Even though they're in the same you know, try it. He's so different. And he's very introverted. And Shauna, she's like you, really. I mean, it's fantastic to watch them together because they genuinely appreciate one another. But here's an example where the Enneagram has helped their relationship. Early on in their marriage, they would go out to parties. And at 8.30, because he's been standing around feeling awkward and not kind of knowing how to get into the flow of it all, you know, and to 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 stop observing and start participating, right? She, meanwhile, is dancing on tables at 8.30, <laughs> right? And so he would be saying, I, I got to go home now. You know, I got to go home. And, and she would be saying, we just got started, 
right? Yep, yep. And so they just started, here's their solution. They got to know the Enneagram. It was so healing for them. And now they take two cars to parties. Yeah. Makes so much sense. When Aaron, yep. when Aaron and I were first married, um, I wanted to throw a party in our home approximately every other day. Like that's my perfect rhythm. One night at home with just us, the next night we have a party, another night at home, another party. And Aaron was like, number one, I cannot live like this. You are <laughs> truly insane. It really was like a frat house. <laughs> 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 but we made a rule and this rule still stands. Still stands. Yep. If I want to have people in our home, we talk about it. The one thing I've learned is I ask ahead of time. <laughs> That's just basic. That's where we start. You ask ahead of time. And then the second one is at any point with a house full of people, if Aaron wants to go to bed or even just go be alone, he can. And I never... I, I, that's never a problem. So he gets up from the dinner table sometimes when there are people around the table. He'll leave. Uh, like, and, and that's a rule. Is Just because I want to have this kind of like intense, relational, festive experience in our home doesn't mean he's roped in right. to every second of that because it doesn't right. work for him. Right. We, um, we kind of do the same thing. I mean, Annie knows that for me, you know, I'm a four now at this, Aaron, like you, I was a four as a three in my, the first half of life. And I am definitely a four with a five now. And so that five, man, I, I just have only so much before I've got to get away and get quiet. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know, to recharge. And I find, you know, as a four being typically snotty sometimes, I'll be sitting around the table and I'm like, okay, this, these conversations are really shallow. Yeah, you know, like I, sure. I really don't want to talk about my new Weber grill. You know what I mean? I really <laughs> don't want – it doesn't matter to me. So, you know, for us – just like you guys, giving each other space to be ourselves and, you know, to go on and, you know, release each other, you know, at times to, to be, to get what we need to get, you know? And, uh, I just think that's, you know, just so critically important. Sean, I have a question. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a major emotional psychological crash where the possibility of outrunning feelings of grief, sadness, rage, whatever it may be, it was inescapable, had to be done, could not avoid it. Have you, I'm, I'm sure you have. Have you had that experience? Oh, absolutely. Yes, definitely. I can think of a couple different times in the last couple of years. Yes. Okay. Can you, would you be willing to describe one? Well, you know, I think, uh, I will say, and Aaron would be the first to, I'm sure corroborate this, is there, um, the inability to outrun emotions and then the crash that goes with it has a couple different aspects to it. And one of them is, you know, so let's say there's emotions that I'm not facing. That's the center of it. But then outside of that circle is all the, how tired I've gotten myself because of all the running I've been doing. Right. So instead of paying attention to the emotion, I've signed on for to speak at 15 events in, you know, three weeks. And and I've said yes to hosting this many events at our house. And so the presenting issue is always I'm too busy and I'm too tired. And that's not a lie because I am too busy and I'm too tired because I've put those things in my life to protect me from facing the emotion. So it, it's like peeling an onion. Number one, why are you crying? Because I'm so busy. And under that, I'm so tired. And then way at the center of that 
it's because I've been trying not to face this thing in my life and I need to create some space and I need to say no to things and I need to go back to the counselor and I need to have some hard conversations. Um, And I would say one thing I'm very, very thankful for is I live with a person who encourages me toward that, even though it's very hard for me. Um, If I lived with a person who was like, don't you feel like we should just watch a movie? I'd be like, yeah, you're definitely right. We should totally just watch a movie. But Aaron always- And do splits. Yeah. Aaron always encourages me toward depth, toward figuring out what is at the center, toward facing whatever that thing is. But I'm the one that prefers to stay in the shallow end for as long as possible, even though clearly it's not working for me. Like, I, I, you know, I could be like, we're, you know, we're doing something that I I still so badly want to be having fun, but there are tears running down my face and Aaron's like, hey, pumpkin. I feel like there might be something to look at under the surface. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's probably not. It's probably fine. But he really helps me. He helps create a safe place for me to slow down and to face the things that I tend to not want to face. Mm. So, Aaron, in your relationship, and, you know, you and I have crashes twice a day, but I'm I, I'm wondering if you've had, uh, you know, a particular moment when your sense, and this is a, phrase I use frequently for force, that sense of profound interior deficiency, that, that sense that the missing piece that, that in your essential makeup is just so aggravated that, you know, it's just like an infection, you know, you know, I've spoken with you many times and I know you've, you've been in that space and I'm just curious, like, how does Shauna speak into that in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't tend to have the rare, enormous crashes. I tend to have, like you were joking, you know, the twice a day. Um, So I I think it really goes back to if she can just spend a minute with me in it, not fixing, not kind of tap dancing to get to kind of distract me and make me happy, but just like, wow, I see that. And I am so sorry. Like it's, it's almost like those two, those two sentences do so much healing because I don't want to spend the whole night thinking and feeling and talking about it, but man, I, I need someone to see it with me. So there's something about solidarity, about naming reality. And then, then let's, let's go watch a movie now that we've named that that's real, that that's real. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just don't want to have to pretend I don't need it to take over, but please don't make me pretend. Oh, yeah, that authenticity thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't make me lie. Yeah. I hear you, honey. I can have so much fun, even though I'm sad, but as long as there's room for both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At our worst, we're zero-sum about it. I can. It's only real to me if it's sad. And for Shauna, there can't be sad or it'll wreck the good. And when, when we get beyond the zero sum thing, it, it can be real. We, we're actually really good for each other because she pulls me up and uh, hopefully I bring a little grounding. Hmm. You know, the other day, um, Annie said to me, and, and she was right. She said, you know, could we just move back into our house uh, here in Nashville? And, and uh, she, she looked at the bookshelves and the artwork in the house. And, you know, she kind of lets me make a lot of these aesthetic decisions as a four, you know, because I'm so... You know, she'll make one and I'm like, I don't know if that, you know, that color, <laughs> you know, it's like, I always find what's missing in right. the decision, you know? And she'll, she said, you know, there are a lot of sad books in this house. <laughs> <laughs> 
you've got all these books by Nowen and Merton, you know, and, and all, you know, about, you know, healing from shame and, you know, the poetry books and the, and the pictures on the wall are of the Annunciation. Yeah. And there's a lot of crucifixes around the house. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot yeah. of crucifixes and candles, you know, like scented candles around the house, you know. But what's gotten, and I think this is so good for everybody in relationship, this is one of those great things the Enneagram can do, is that she can come to me now and not say, Ian, this is you, that's the problem. She can come to me and say, you know, Ian, I'm feeling a lot of four going on in the house. You know what I mean? And, and like, I just, I would like it to be maybe a little less you know, uh, dark, you know, a little bit more sunflowers than, you know, black roses. And, um, and, and because she can externalize the problem, you know, it's like, okay, this is a four thing. It's not an Ian thing. This is kind of a four thing going on. And so it's outside. And so we're both, and we've both agreed that I'm a four. We both agreed she's a nine. So it's not like we can escape the, you know, uh, characteristic traits of our numbers. It's like, you know, I can't be all that defensive about it. And, and, and now it's outside of us and we're now we're treating the relationship instead of accusing each other. That's really wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been so, wow. so helpful to us. And I'm, I'm, you know, wow. I couldn't be, yeah, I know it's been, that's one of the ways that, uh, the Enneagram has really helped us in, in terms of, of relationship. We've got about one minute left. And I just want to, I just want to, this is a crazy question, but from each of your perspectives, keeping in mind that some folks listening are married, some folks are, you know, dating or coming out of, I always say coming into a relationship or on their way out of one, you know, it's like one or the other. Tell me, like, what do you think ultimately the purpose is of two human beings making a commitment for life? You know what I mean? Like, and they, life nowadays can be a long time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like for you, and again, keeping the Enneagram in mind, like what is the purpose in this design that two people stay together despite their differences for their lives? Well, maybe I'll start with a quick one and then I'm sure Shauna will be 10 times more eloquent. But for me, the first thing that comes to mind is committing to stay helps me go through the whole, all the cycle of all the responses to any one situation. So, you know, if something bad happens between us, I can first go, oh no, I'm the worst person in the world. But then if I stay, I go, no, wait, she's the worst person in the world. But then if I stay, it goes to, well, what if there's something deeper? Like it, it allows it to not be the simple knee jerk response. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So like as a person who goes quickly to victim, when I was dating, as soon as she would do something, I would become the victim and then I'd be done. Because like, why would I stay around with someone who's victimizing me? But I never got to learn that, wait a second, maybe I contributed to that. Um, The gift, and I really mean this sincerely, is to stay through that initial knee jerk and realize, wow, this is... Every issue is a lot more uh, complicated, but also more robust and has more things to offer. So, hmm. All right, Shauna. Well, this is, um, I think, sounds maybe a little more, more cliche or kind of fluffy than, than I usually am about things. But 
when I think about God, when I think about the world he made. So I think one of our tasks here on earth is to be the the embodied God, the hands and feet of a loving Christ in our world, right? So it um, and I think he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think Aaron is my number one forever and ever, all the time neighbor. And I am the person that God is going to use more than any other person on earth to teach Aaron what it is to be loved and to be seen and to be known. And when I can see that then I, I feel such a deep responsibility. I want to do a good job. I want to I want to show Aaron so much love. I want to I want him to feel so seen and so known and so held in God's love because I create that environment in our relationship together. So it feels like a like a, a very deep responsibility. Hmm. I want to love other people well, of course, in the course of my life. But if I think about being a voice of love and light in our world or being God, you know, embodying God's love here on earth. My, the primary outflow of that is the love that I show to Aaron. He is my number one neighbor through my whole life. And if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, it, that primarily means what I give to him in terms of our marriage. Mm -hmm. So I, um, know Aaron that you, you have a book coming out. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I want to hear about the book before I let you go. Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking. Well, one of the two of us is an actual writer, and the other one of us is trying to write a book. It's been so fun. Um, the first draft was easy, quick, exciting. The second draft was like getting beat up. Like it was, it's been so dramatic. Anyways, it's called uh, The Eternal Current. And the subtitle is How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. And basically, it's about the two, two movements in my life, one from a belief-based faith to a practice-based faith, and the other from thinking my faith tradition had all the truth and no one else had any of the truth, to realizing that my tradition is one small sliver in a really big and beautiful story. So, When does it come out? Next August. I know it's a long time, isn't it? It feels like forever. I'm. I was kind of joking with Shauna. I'm not sure I'll even believe this stuff next August. You know, but obviously, <laughs> but it's been really fun and exciting. Um, and I, the process has been really fun. So that's great, man. And so yeah, Shauna, what do you got going? What's in your? What's going on with you? What is it? Are you just traveling and speaking, or are you in the middle of writing right now? Just doing the splits at parties. So. <laughs> um. You know, so I, uh, for the first time in 11 years, I don't have a contract. I don't have a tour. I don't, I'm like a, I'm somewhere between a free agent and a person who does not have any job. Um, and I love it. Um, so I will, I'll start writing again this year. Um, and I'll do another series, uh, another little season of the podcast that we started last year. Um, our little guy, Mac, just went to kindergarten last week. So this is like a major life change for us. Um, and it's good. I'm, I'm not traveling and speaking. I'm home a lot. I love that. I like the writing part of it. So this feels like a really exciting, um, I like the, I like the groundedness of this season. That feels good to me for now. Mm. Well, listen, I hear the apple orchard calling <laughs> and I, I know you have a lot to talk about en route now and I want to let you, I want to let you go, but I want to first tell you just, I love you too. And being on this conversation was really Really, 
don't know, just it just felt like such a privilege. And what I came away with, I think, just initially, was this sense that relationships, and I think this is true of friendships, and but particularly of, you know, intimate, deep relationships, like as in marriage or dating. I think part of the purpose, and I'm going to use Christian language here, but people can translate it into their own uh, if they don't hail from our tradition, would be it's about working out our salvation. You know, it's about being softened and gentled and, you know, called out of ourselves to to something greater. And I think the, the Enneagram is one tool of many that can really help us advance on that journey faster. It saves us time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just saves us time. Well, listen, love to both of you. Hugs to your kids and yes. happy apple orchard. I'm going to go back to the rain. <laughs> we love you too. Yeah. Always great to talk with you. I'm going back to the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing cool. this. Peace and grace, you guys. All right. See you later. See you. So, Anthony. That conversation was entertaining and instructive, wasn't it? So great. I love their humor and what great insight. Yeah, I I so admire Aaron and Shauna. They are so attuned to who they are and they understand the Enneagram and they're applying it in their marriage. Oh, it's beautiful. That's fantastic. A four and a seven. A four and a seven. Any two numbers on the Enneagram can make a relationship work when they're both healthy and they're they're evidence of that. It's really hopeful. Yeah. So here are a few ways folks listening can use the wisdom of the Enneagram to help them better love and support their friends or partners. Great. Let's hear it. First, they should explore the inner terrain, really, of their of their spouses or their partners, their friends. Like in other words, we should put ourselves in their shoes, mm. right? And try to see and experience life through the lens of their particular type. So good. Right? So I think personally, and this has been my experience, taking the time to understand the worldview of someone you love, like it's an incredible expression of care. Mm, love that. Right? And so we just need to be curious about each other. Oh, what a great word. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I can't remember who it was, but... They said it in reference to children. They said, well, the best way to love a child is to be curious about them. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I think same goes with our, our spouses or our partners or our friends. It should. Right? Mm -hmm. Second, what Annie and I do in our relationship is we try to use the language of the Enneagram as a tool to help us resolve conflict. Okay, so when difficulties arise between us, I might ask Annie a question like, because she's a nine, right? I might ask her a question like, so how do you as a nine see this situation? Wow. Just to, again, I'm trying to get in her shoes and see right. the world right. from her vantage point, okay? Or she might ask me a question like, how is what you're feeling right now, and that's a great way to approach a four, by the way, <laughs> how is what you're feeling right now related to your being a four? Wow. And that actually makes me stop and pause. It makes reactivity go way down mm -hmm. in the moment because I have to stop right. and reflect right. and answer wisely and you know, hopefully in a calm way in the midst of disagreement, right? Or another question we've used is like, what does what you're dealing with right now 
bring up for you as a nine or a four. Oh, that's good. You know? So again, these are, by the way, I just think when it comes to conflict, the Mm -hmm. best thing is not to make declarative statements. It's much better all the time to start asking questions. Oh, I like that. Just start asking questions. Right. You know? And finally, I think no matter how long two people have known each other, they should never assume that they fully know their loved one. Because every day, the two of you are together is an opportunity to explore the mystery of each other's in I love this word, inscape, right? Mm-hmm. Your your interior world. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was, but there was a psychologist a number of years ago who made this terrific insight that every time you see your spouse or partner or friend, they're a stranger to you. Because like, for example, if you went to bed last night, when you got up this morning, your wife dreamt things or, you know, whatever that now make her an utterly different person than the person. I love that. Is that cool? Yeah, I love that. So every time you're with someone that you think you know, actually, since the time they went to work to the time they got home, they've become utterly different on the basis of their experiences. Right, Right, right. So be curious, right? Be curious and never assume you fully know them. Right? Be curious and never assume. Yep, totally. Now, there are two books that I think could be helpful, right? Uh, for you who are listening uh, and want to learn more about the Enneagram and relationships, check out Helen Palmer's book, The Enneagram in Love and Work. That's a, that's a good resource. And the other is a book that I have a real affection for. It's Lynette Shepard's book, The Everyday Enneagram. Okay, you can get both of them on Amazon, um, and again, great resources for people. Anthony, thanks for your help today. So great to be with you, Ian. It's a blast coming to be at your place in your studio and and uh, record typology with you. Well, it's great to have you here and to uh, host your great show here. Thanks, man. Hey, folks, if you have questions or suggestions for future episodes. Go over to the connect page on our website, typologypodcast.com and submit a comment. And then finally, I just want to remind you that uh, you can become for as little as Anthony, listen to this, for as little as $1 a month. That's incredible. Right? $1 a month. Folks can become patrons of the Typology Podcast to ensure that you and I can keep having Dom Perignon champagne and shrimp dip at every one of our recording sessions. (laughs) It'll be fantastic. No, folks, that really is going to underwrite some really important things that we're doing and and, uh, to really help this thing stay afloat. And uh, we appreciate anything that you can do for us. So just go to patreon.com backslash typology and give whatever you can. It would mean the world to us. Look forward to being with you next week, everybody. And until then, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde who said, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken.